Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Here we are again, the house list. Long enough break, right? Am I right? Well, my name is Peter Agostin. If you forgot, I'm the host, producer of this show. And uh, hey, it has been a really long time, and I'm sorry for the long wait. Um, but one thing I told myself when I first started doing this podcast, I never was going to do an episode on the phone or Zoom if I could help it. The only way I know how to interview people, at least nowadays, is in person. And I wanted to wait until the time was right and we could safely and conscientiously gather to record conversations again. So it took a little while. In fact, it's been a year and a half at least since the last actual interview I posted for this show. But I'm so grateful to be back and I'm so happy to finally have sat and talked to our guest today. Matthew David. I met up with him a couple days ago, recorded in his house and in his uh, studio, and we had a great conversation. I've known the guy for a really long time, so it was just fun uh, catching up, too. So covered a lot of stuff in his career as a musician, a producer, but he's had an amazing record label for years since I think 2008 was the first title, Leaving Records is the name of the imprint, if you aren't already familiar with our guest. Highly, highly recommend digging into their catalog. Really amazing um, selection of instrumental music, of environmental music, new age stuff, ambient records, uh, beats, lots of really cool stuff, some new jazz, um, all formats, lots of really great cassettes, which is something I co collect. Um, and uh, so we talk about that and just kind of catching up. So I, I was his booking agent for years. And and uh, so we've done a lot of shows together, big and small. And, and it was just kind of cool to have this be the first conversation in a long time because I, I was a little worried. I'd be a little rusty and, and it's been such a such a long minute um, that maybe I forgot how to do this, but I knew that deep down inside, I just needed to get back on the horse, have a conversation with someone I knew was comfortable with, and then we'd be right back uh, where we left off. So I'm excited to share this with you. It was fun doing it. And I'm hoping really that this leads to many more episodes and try to pace myself and drop them as often as I possibly can. And I really need your guys' support, too, because this is a labor of love, as it always has been. So at least get the word out. If you know a way to kind of help me uh, uh, move the show along. I'm not asking for money. I don't have a Patreon. I know I can't obligate myself to more work than just doing the show. So if there is any way to just get the word out, just do that. For now, it's going to uh, really amount to a lot later on. Because hopefully this podcast will lead to a much bigger, more permanent uh, project of mine that I can share with you down the line. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the one and only Matthew David recorded in LA just for the house list and just for y'all check it out. Peace. But since it's, uh, this is my first one in a long time, I do ask that you, um, you know, give me a little extra patience cause mine might be a little on the rusty side. Uh, but thankfully, and we started. Uh, thankfully, okay. I'm doing this with someone I've known for a very long time, too. Um, so I feel a little more. I don't feel that intimidated. Ooh. Plus, we're in a very beautiful, tranquil 
zone right now too. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. All patience. Yeah, yeah. You're this is a you're the perfect person to start with something like this. You know. Um, Appreciate that. Yeah. Like as I was another thing, I hadn't prepared for one of these in a really long time too. I used to have a very specific kind of routine for preparing. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing them in New York, I would, um, it was in my living room, kind of like in an environment just like this. So a lot of the people that I would talk to would be, you know, musicians whose records I would have had or records I would have put out. So I'd have them within arm's length to pull Mm. and, you know, show the physical thing. And then we start um, uh, talking off of memories that come from that. So uh in my preparation for this you know and i don't i try to keep it as casual as possible um i just started thinking back on all the stuff that we've done um which is just one little corner of like your Mm -hmm. sort of story Mm -hmm. Uh, because a lot of people know you more from your record label and for here in la too being a very important part of this scene but i kind of met you through while i was in new york and um from the the recommendation of who I'm someone I'm trying, I'm trying to determine it either was through, I think it was through Prince Rama, but <laughs> you probably haven't heard that name in a while, but, um, or <laughs> what I'm fairly sure is that it was Cameron, which is, it was through Son of Rock. Yeah. That, maybe really. Or then Were you again, already working with Cameron. I was already working with, okay. yeah. So this is like 2010. Yeah. Um, but I already knew that you like at that same time, you sort of had a connection with no and kind of tangentially to the Anticon crew. I thought it was from the, the Anticon layer, like Sean Coplo. Yeah. Or maybe even Kev or somebody, you know? Yeah. See, that's the thing. It go, it could go in any number of directions and all. And that's what I love about you too, is that like you, um, that you have your story there's pieces of the puzzle from each one of those types of people and artists and labels. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're all pretty different from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of ways, like you are the kind of uh, a common thread between yeah. a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that was always my drive and my mission in LA when I entered into the, the fabric was just immersing myself into all the scenes possible and just, right being like a sponge and so inspired yeah i come from like a beat making electronic hip-hop background but kind of really great crucial timing landing in la when i did late 2006 the dawning of low end theory really the beat scene experimental electronic beat making was just forming yeah and i was you know the weirdo making tape loops and like circuit bending and collaging on ableton and 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 shit um which was more coming that from that like a more hardcore experimental exactly. sort of yeah yeah noise background yeah. sort of yeah yeah so i just started i guess reaching out you know spreading yeah. the vibes becoming interested meeting people in la and was as equally interested in um you know plug research dub lab anticon mush uh whatever was dataless didn't tell that whole music as i was with um 
no, noise music or uh, exp- experimental music. Poobah Records was like a yes. hub for me. And, you know, that's how I met G, Raz G, rest in yeah. peace, yes. who was like a deep cut DIY experimentalist at heart, also a beat maker. So meeting G and then Ron Stivers at Poobah, who introduced me to like the craziest Finnish freak folk music and yeah, yeah. just outsider shit, Los Angeles Free Music Society, yeah. which is like, you know, this 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 legacy, this lineage of uh, experimental tape loop collage music concrete community in LA that a lot of people still don't really know about, mm-hmm. op, you know, operating from the seventies that was, has its ties from ties into Poobah, which oh, is cool. Wow. So I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's all these like, yeah. And then Dub Lab is kind of like the center point of everything. So yeah. it was cool. That was my first foot in the door was being at Dub Lab. I was sharing an internship with Plug Research, also with Dub Lab because they were in the same office. So it was just great, perfect timing for someone like me. Yeah. So weird and on the kind of the psychedelic vision quest, but also coming from beat making and And where did you move from too? Because you're from the East Coast or from the South. From the South, yeah. I was raised in Atlanta and then went to college in Northwest Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. Oh, yes. Where I really had my first like noise show, cutty DIY punk, like fringe experimental music experiences kind of happened later for me. Like when I was in high school, I was really into hip hop, like only. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then slowly as I got through high school, I was got to getting more backpacker and underground, like raucous records and like, okay, all right. And then college was just branching out and meeting so many different types of people and getting into college radio, a big college radio station DJ there really opened me up. And what was the station there? WVFS. Oh, nice. V89, The Voice. Dope. That, led me to LA being at that station. Oh, very yeah. cool. What was your show? I had the hip hop show there Dope. the last year. I, I was kind of under the wing of this big uh, local DJ who now resides in New York, DJ Dirty Digits, who's like oh, at the yeah. Scratch Academy, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Took me under his wing early on in Tallahassee and I would go with him. He had the hip hop show. I would go in with him starting sophomore year. We, a bunch of buddies of mine would just go into Dan's show and then he handed it off to me when he left and I was doing it senior year. Amazing. And I was also a regular rotation DJ. I had like the graveyard shift for many years just being like playing their catalog, doing medium and heavy and spotlight rotation. Oh, wow. Which exposed me to all sorts of crazy, you know, music. And that's how I have a vocabulary for like indie rock or like yeah. college rock and sure. like different, different shit, which is what led me to move to LA was that, yeah, just opening up a broad spectrum graveyard shift. And that's the era of college radio too. Absolutely. So like you absorb, you're reporting records to trades because that's how you know the light, medium and heavy stuff too. Also Tallahassee, uh, FSU has a great, you know, venue there, club down under, which is like, you know, some, I booked a bunch of shows there. And so there's a scene people might outside of that area might not realize that, but there was yeah. probably a pretty supportive scene. I would Super imagine. Super supportive. Like, yeah. Touring artists are passing through. And, and the so. station was very connected with that venue and all of the students got in for free at that venue. And nice. it was like a really cool symbiosis of that. Uh, I don't know who was doing the booking, but they had great shows. Yeah. I saw some incredible shows at that club yeah, yeah, while yeah. doing college radio there and it just being hinged and, 
saw Fortet really early on, saw nice. The Books, Animal Collective, like you name it. Like, yeah. It's like 2004, 2005. Yeah, yeah. hell yeah. Well, shout out to this, uh, to Natasha Parrish. That was, she was the booker there when I was, oh, when sick. I was like at Panache and oh, like sick. Inland Empire. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they have a great history of, uh, of stuff. So to be exposed to all that, it makes a little yeah. more sense. Like, yeah. and I didn't realize that you would come to LA as early as 06 it was like yeah. when i first met you it was like 2010 mm-hmm. and knowing that like i guess outmind came out in 2011 or something so yeah. you were already kind of had were fully immersed by that time totally yeah right? um and i look back at that listening to that music and thinking about that era too like things must how do you how do you like reflect back on that now because that that scene is way way different I now i mean it's it's yeah. totally changed into something different especially post you know 2020 too so. sure sure shit i mean or there must be a story that leads into that you just even putting records out because you were just doing your own before leaving existed before all that too yes right? yes leaving started in 2009 officially february 2009 but we had been you know, jesse and i had been tinkering away at art projects and, and and posting blog posts on our blog before then. And, you know, her and I had a really beautiful chemistry um, just as experimental artists. And, you know, through the Dub Lab community and being introduced to more artists, more DJs, more musicians in L.A., such broad tastes and backgrounds, right? I'm just fu- just funneling it through and then by the time yeah 2009 rolls around we started the label 2010 i start linking with brain feeder seriously i had known and friends with flying lotus and though you know i think by that time i was working with kev so daddy kev at alpha pup released digitally our first record on leaving through his distribution company oh yeah and at the time, I didn't have digital distribution. I was just going to do a tape through the Dub Lab mailing list. Frosty let me have the contacts list of all the wow. Dub Lab subscribers, which is thank you, Frosty, yeah. for that. So I was reaching people internationally with our first drop, which was from Dakim, who is like oh, yeah. your favorite beat maker's favorite beat maker kind of thing, right? Right. right. Is this incredible mad scientist cult following our artist um we launched our label off of, so that was like a really strong like musically it was a strong package with jesse accompanying it with you know presenting it as this homemade every edition hand assembled silk screened un- unknown incredible music yeah. that you never heard before ta- tapping in everyone got that email it turns out i didn't even know who i was seeing that email do Kev got it, Marianne Hobbs got it, you know, DJs that I didn't even know about, tastemakers, influencers that I didn't know about, hitting me up, being like, what's this? It was a really interesting moment. And so Kev got it, he's like, yo, I really like this, what are you doing? I'm still at Dub Lab. You would you actually like to get paid for what you do? <laughs> so, <laughs> Kev offered concept. me Kev offered me my first job in Los Angeles. Oh, no way. Yeah, wow. working for Alpha Pup. What year was this? Uh 2009, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was, he was, you know, I mean, obviously Kev was a pioneer in a lot of ways too. But as far as being early on the digital distribution side, like he uh, really, you know, got in there and figured it out and learned it like pretty precisely. Exactly. And that was, I mean, that was years before 09, yeah. but like, sure. but, but um, so 
so did you that helped embolden the label then i can imagine absolutely at least learning the nuts and bolts of it right totally yeah it's one um, thing to do a tape label and you know and it's another to like kind of i guess see a broader maybe a broader view big time yeah just how all the gears turn internally with the, all the mechanisms um within like kind of this still like pre-streaming digital music industry i guess just on the cusp of streaming i think spotify maybe just had launched at that time mm-hmm. for me it was it was great having a mentor like kev because i was you know also an artist and he really latched on to me with for my music um and i was also an aspiring engineer audio engineer too you know kev is an incredible grammy award winning audio engineer mastering and mixing engineer and uh by way of working with him i was allowed access into the studio after hours to experiment oh cool nice and master everything on leaving on kev's gear and learn how to master from kev's mentoring which is you know it was amazing you know and that's that's you you hadn't done that before no no and i could really flex with the stuff like putting out early more experimental leaning records from Roz g was kind of a a hallmark thing that really stamped our label as being like kind of taken seriously i think Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. big sounding experimental hip-hop collage kind of un Un, uh, cla- unclassifiable beat scene adjacent yeah. music on tape which is like a just like a new concept for everyone i think like yeah. the beat entering this new budding beat scene kind of genre list but like kind of centered in hip-hop and experimental electronic music but like still unclassifiable very new and then someone like me comes in working with Kev, putting this music out on tape, but like with the full support and consent of the artists and me being like a total optimist that I am mm-hmm. and confident and like gaining so much pleasure just intrinsically from working on all this stuff and doing it with Jesse. At the time, my partner, who had just like the visual identity and aesthetic locked down, it was like a beautiful moment to start the fucking record label. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So where did the painting, like the the the, the discs, the floppy discs, and painting the CDRs yeah. and the cassettes, was that on Jesse's side or were you guys... That was me. Was it? That was a funny, weird, like just kind of art therapy... Yeah object painting therapy thing that i would apply to my own music and now i'm doing it's funny like way full circle i'm doing it again for leaving releases but much more kind of articulate and professionally kind of i've just been dialing it in you know and through quarantine it was like my quarantine hobby to really fine-tune this hand marbled hydro dipped kind of more limited edition DIY stuff where it actually holds up and it doesn't look like some noob in their garage. That's what we were. Right. We were just well, like you got to be kids. that. At some point in time, you're going to be that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's cool to be, ha- keep that close and then, you know, fucking, I don't know how, how long it's been, 12 years later, return to it, but like yeah. in a in a beautiful way, in a more realized way. Yeah, because it reminds me too, like in 05, 06, 07, there was a whole like super experimental cassette scene that is like not a, not a part of 
of the I guess quote unquote beat scene or no. or hip hop or instrumental music, no, and no. that is sort of frozen in time and didn't kind really is, didn't yeah. really carry along that yeah. as much as some of this music does. So in a way, you know, you kind of took uh, or bringing some of those aesthetics and kind of keeping them alive artistically because sure. to to do that style of like painting every cassette and painting hand painting you know, um, the artwork, it comes yeah. from that more, that world, yeah. you know, and, uh, it's, it's a cool merging of like yeah. forging two totally disparate scenes together in a, in a way. I think. That was my whole shit starting the label too. I yeah. mean, I was influenced by all of those experimental drone labels yeah. at the time, like stunned and digitalis. And, you know, I was actually hitting those people up as a fan being like, how do you do this? Cool. Like, I see that you are professionally duplicating. This doesn't actually look all like real time recorded in your bedroom. This is, looks like there's a manufacturer doing these yeah. things. And and the guy at Stunned, who's Cameron's friend, I think his name is Phil. Mm -hmm. Their catalog is crazy deep. And I, I don't know, it is frozen in time in a lot of ways, but... He's the one who hipped me to National Audio Company, which is that oh, yeah. big tape company in Missouri that everyone fucks with now. Uh, but that was my whole thing. I'm like, I'm going to carry on this kind of like deep cut uh, noise experimental music zone and legacy that I'm really tapped into, but move it over, like carry it over to what's happening in LA right now yeah. because there's I see and I identify a lot of common ground just sonically oh, just totally. like the ex exploration of of sounds and artistry and stuff so that yeah. that was always my my thing and it's it's cool that you identify that I mean risograph silk screen hand painting marbling you know all of the stamping yeah, well, All of these dope DIY aesthetics that have been going on in, in underground music culture, DIY music culture for in, in many scenes and genres for since the fucking 80s or 70s. Totally. Or whatever, right. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. But yeah, you're right to identify these kind of more experimental underground drone noise and like before ambient was really what we know it as right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. was like called drone. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like. <laughs> <laughs> basically just ambient music or new age even or yeah. something which is yeah. funny yeah i mean i you know spent enough time in humble in the early 2000s when it was such a super underground scene that just like existed in a little bubble or in the pacific northwest and stuff sure, like that yeah. and like sure but i was I'm, you know i'm a hip-hop head and i came up through college radio sort of the same way so i i've always i kind of identified with your aesthetic because you know, when you're informed from both things and like mm -hmm. it, it, you have that context too, which is pretty, totally. pretty neat to see, like applying one thing to the other. Yeah. Um, and even like when we, you know, started sort of when we started collaborating as far as me uh, working as your booking agent, booking shows like in, you know, I guess starting 2010 and then really going at it like in 2011, it was some of those first shows or tours was with Sun Ra. And, and it, so it was coming more from a from a way more experimental yeah. sort of heavy zone psych yeah yeah, yeah definitely and um uh yeah i mean uh i can i was even kind of going through some of our 
earlier dialogue from back then too mm. and i i'm like and thankfully that stuff still exists so i can kind of relive like how we first connected and unfortunately it was a show that kind of like fell through but uh i don't know if you you may or may not remember this but um we were going to originally meet and when i was in new york you were going to play ps1 it was with fortet and faulty dl in 2011 and uh, which was which is an amazing concept even to this day i would like i would yeah. that's still a great lineup yeah but for yeah. some reason that show fell through yeah. and then we kind of picked up the pieces from there and started more oh, like shit. on a diy level oh, um shit. and yeah. it's funny I, I wrote uh your first tech writer here too that you gave me um and i wanted to either read this to you or show it to you mm. to see what has changed, if anything has changed mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. um, or you can even catch it right here. So I just wrote it from hand from when I asked you, I was like, hey man, what's your tech oh, writer, shit. you know? Wow. But this is yeah. when you're doing huh. songs from, oh, from right. that era too. What has changed, if anything, here? Well, I still use the Monome, which is like a, a MIDI controller that runs in open source Maxim SP software. I have a DJ app for that. I still use that from time to time for fun, although it's legacy software, so a lot of times it doesn't work. Um, the Apogee Duet interface is sick. I wish I still had it, and I wish I still I wish it, I still had it, and it was working, but it stopped working, Cracked and I out. just yeah, I just use like a Focusrite right now i just literally got my sp303 back from the stones Row studio last week wow and this, is it that same one yeah incredible so a lot of the the music original music was made on that too yeah that one yes well <laughs> that was you like that was like a kind of a quintessential processor mm -hmm. component for the compressor oh cool I would run it, and it's still, still to this day. Yeah, I'd run it through that. Still to this day, like there's no sound quite like the SB three hundred three four hundred four has it, but the preamps are different. Yeah. Compression sound. I oh, mean, yeah. that's the fucking like, that's the beat scene right there. Exactly. Yeah, that that yeah. I had one of those too. Yeah, I had that compression sound and just amazing effects and. Yeah, I mean, and then I'd have one shot samples. I would use it for sa the samples too. Um, that's cool. And then the Emu MP7 command station was this funny piece of gear that I got. Like my dad got it for me when I went to college. So when I was 18, my dad like was looking. <laughs> I had a I had a, a source magazine out, uh, and he thumbed through it and surprised me for my like um, graduation. Uh, it was an ad that he saw in the source that I had laying out in high school uh, <laughs> of the RZA, like uh -huh. holding like this piece of gear and surprised me with it. I think I must have mentioned that that would be cool for yeah. me to have. Yeah, that's something. amazing. It was an all-in-one like uh, preloaded kind of sequencer, playable sequencer with drums and synth sounds in it. You could do some deep menu diving in that, but it was so tedious to do right. that. Yeah, it's mostly like, like yeah. load in the sounds and make your shit. And yeah. I remember the RZA had like a funny demo video at the time. Oh, really? But that was what I made a lot of my a lot of my stuff on early on for drums. And, uh, mostly actually synth sounds. Oh, don't. Yeah, weird enough. And then this analog delay pedal here. 
that was like this weird like Japanese knockoff of a boss analog delay that I still haven't found. I still haven't found the one that sounds just like that. There's been a few other like green analog delay pedal, like guitar pedals that are like boss knockoffs or the boss one or the rolling one. But I've never found one that sounds so warm as this one. It's just like this no name weird one that I lost on an Australian tour. Oh, dang. Yeah, I was wondering how much of this stuff still might exist because it yeah. was, uh, you know, this is 10 years ago, yeah. you know, and yeah. um, <clears throat> and your live set has totally evolved yeah, I mean, these a bunch. Days, these days, my live set, honestly, is just like maybe a controller, mm-hmm. but honestly, not even like just laptop. If I'm oh. going to do like a real DJ set, I might use a controller or two. Yeah moving around and spinning that's cool and i love that (laughs) fun stuff yeah but i've just been kind of in the zone of wanting to just have like a sonic like immersive experience with the audience like just just really calculating that how the audience is participating hopefully they're seated relaxed and listening right yeah instead of drinking and partying and dancing and stuff which i love but I'm just in a different place. Right yeah, now. totally. Yeah. Like the last time I saw you perform was at Now Instant, that mm. place in Highland Park, and it was a, uh, you know, compared to the first one of the first times I saw you, which was like at the cake shop, uh, like during like CMJ, like ten years ago, where it. And the, granted, that was like a totally different kind of style show. The the one at Now Instant was like this way more of a sound bath, mm-hmm. uh, you know gripping uh experience where the other was more like you know jabs of of yeah. beats and like yeah. you know it was more songs sure. and stuff like that yeah, yeah sure yeah word yeah 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 but i mean both are amazing not a lot of people yeah. can um producers that are doing a live thing will uh you know get outside of that box you know or the the boundaries that they've drawn for themselves feeling as though they're maybe obligated to play their original mm-hmm. material all the time like yeah, I've always been interested in merging all of the music and scenes uh, that I'm into. Yeah, um, that's always been kind of my ch- my goal and my challenge uh, for for my music and and performing music too. Uh, in the various venues that will allow me to play my music and experimenting, you know, whether it be a gallery like or the smell or yes. low, in, low in theory or. Just kind of being like, all right, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to play a really long form ambient intro or I'm going to play like some hyphy, like I might sing a song that I wrote over some like funk boogie edit that's chopped and screwed and then go into a long form weird ambient like zone in the same key. Um. Yeah, that's yeah. always been my MO. It's just, just like challenging myself to try to bridge more gaps, I guess, within sure. music community and scenes. Yeah, because well, yeah, I've try- always been interested in mingling with the scenes yeah. since I got here, and that's what Leaving is about, it's what the label's about, right. and what's made me an interesting kind of player or artist or component in the fabric of this city and just... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, Leaving is a label, is an incredible like discography of stuff. You know, it's mm-hmm. super deep. Every year there's probably a good 20 plus albums or titles mm-hmm. from very different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to kind of circle back to, mm-hmm. but, but a, a, on a broader sense, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about just in talking to you is that mm-hmm. since I've known you, 
like you've put me on to so many different kinds of people, artists, you know, and a lot of times it was through the context of booking, like, Hey, right. you should check this person out. Right. And some of them I worked with and some of them I didn't. Um, uh, but like, there's people that I heard, uh, of from the very first time knowledge, I would have never heard of, but you were, you introduced me to knowledge, Julia Holter. I never heard of her until you brought that up to me. Um, and even, um, you know, someone I worked with a bunch, DeAnthony Parks, you know, who you did an Tight. incredible record with. Tight. You put me on to him. And then we had an amazing, we still do have an amazing working relationship. Sick. Incredible drummer. Um, and uh, when you mentioned the smell, that automatically that brings me back to the show that we did at the smell with Dame Funk and Master Blaster <laughs> and Son of Ra and Vex Ruffin as well. <laughs> and I w that was at a period of time when I was, you know, when I was booking Dame shows, that was in 2011 or 12. Yeah. And I was I was on a tear when we were like, we yeah. want to hit certain, we want to yeah. check certain spots off our yeah. list, you know, Sick. and we got to play the smell. And, you know, shout out to Jim yeah. and the whole smell scene, yeah. which is like a huge part of LA culture. Absolutely. And, um, and uh, granted, I wasn't there for that, unfortunately, but I really wish I could have attended that one. Um, I did see the finals in an email I looked up uh, before I got here too. We had 189 people paid for that one. Uh, it's just for the record, uh, which in the smell, that's great, you know. Um, but speaking of that too, I was thinking about the other shows that we did with wh where Matthew David was opening up for Dame Funk and, and Master Blaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause that's a really special period of time for me, mm -hmm. special time for Dame mm -hmm. and the scene in LA. It's like a one of a kind group, punk funk, like, you know, future funk stuff. Yeah. And um, one, one, cause you did like a handful of shows opening up for them in New York, mm -hmm. the Highland Ball Ballroom. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember that or not uh, with the Metro, oh, with Metro area. Oh shit. And, oh my God. And yeah. then, then you did uh, uh, Union Pool, was it? Yeah, we did yeah. Union Pool. That was, yeah, yeah, definitely. I forgot that about that fun. one. That was super epic. And then San Diego. And then you and I drove up to San Francisco together from LA. I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, for there was a couple strings of shows with Master Blaster and with Matthew yeah. David opening up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. there's a couple memories I have from that period of time. Um, because one, that was uh, on that trip, on that drive up, that was the first time I ever heard of Open Mike Eagle. You're like, oh, you got to check out this dude, Open Mike Eagle. He's dope. I'm like, I never even, I never heard of him. You put me on to him back then. And it was like, that was like 2012 or 13 mm. um and 2012 yeah mm. yep and then um and then when we get we got oh i drove with you up yeah there. we drove from la yeah 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 definitely uh because we played the mezzanine which no longer exists of course and that was the last master blast dame funk master blast show ever because because j1 passed away shortly after that right and that was you know this super epic show you yeah. know and it was yeah. It was yeah. just, to my knowledge, I think it was just you and them on the bill. Uh, or so. we had uh, the um, uh, sweater, right, sweater, sweater funk. funk was also yeah. representing, as we always would that do back cool. then. And um, so that's a whole other chapter of my life that you're kind of tied into that those shows, too. And we've done later, you know, you would go on to um, help mix and master Dame Funk stuff, too. Um, even some of the latest releases that we did this year. To go on an extra t tangent too, this incredible unreleased remix of Disclosure that Dame did, you did that joint too. I don't know if you remember that or not. Of course I. Of course you have of to. Of course that was. <laughs> that, that was a few years ago too, but 
never released never released commissioned i, I you know i hooked, hooked it up through that their team yeah. and disclosure was down for it we did this big um single of theirs with that singer jeff uh, i forgot the the guy he's really popular jazz vocalist or whatever cool um and it was like their single at the time and we did the remix and it for one reason or another you know politics of the business basically it never was released but incredible joint which you helped uh be a part of well i was so like invested with working uh, with dame on that moment that was like a beautiful opportunity for me and dame to have some real one-on-one studio like grind time yeah and oh, because you were together too mm-hmm. you worked on that together mm-hmm. like yeah mm-hmm. physically in the same room mm-hmm. that's dope yeah i forgot about that and i'm like oh shit disclosure this is a dope opportunity to really like experiment and like listen to dame on what he wants and like him listen to me on how yeah. i could feel like this could be um yeah fresh yeah and so that was I remember it didn't come out immediately, but it's never been released. Should we put that out? Or? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I, cer- I certainly would like to. I mean, like the world should hear it. I mean, I sent it to some DJs and like I've listened to it a bunch of times. That's but cool. It's not like available. Like Send that to me because I don't have that anymore. Oh, yeah, I got like, you. I, yeah, yeah sure. please send that to me. That's yeah, one. Absolutely. I mean, and another, actually, uh, I made a little list too because um, you had mentioned him earlier today. Milo, you put yeah. me on to him for the oh, first wow, time as well. You like, And these are... I was looking at old emails. It's literally you being like, hey, man, you should really check this guy out. He's dope, you know, um, <laughs> which looking back, because these guys are people that now I love their yeah. music. Yeah, I've talked yeah, to them a bunch yeah, of yeah, times yeah, and yeah, hung yeah. out. And of course. Um, uh, Interesting. even your your guys uh, from Florida surface to air missive, too. Yeah. So I got to give it to you, whether it's your own personal taste or I'm leaving, like you've always had an incredible ear for cool, innovative, you know, uh, progressive stuff too so you think that must be from your days as a dj like are you seeking stuff out like how do you pinpoint that like Mm, it's just got to resonate and register and be different and new and speak to me and just like connect uh that i don't want that to sound deflated or without substance but there are certain criteria of weirdness that needs to be checked i think um but it's really interesting because i am into a like it's funny i am into a lot of like kind of cheesy pop leaning top 40s stuff with throughout the whole history of the music industry um i love pop music and i love you know a catchy song just as just as much as the next person but um well if you look at your album too (laughs) at the the album before the last one where yeah. you doing the vocals? Yeah, um, sure. It's some poppy's R and B What's the album title again? In my world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where that was that was a cool departure for you. Where totally. you were you were doing vocals. Yeah. It was yeah R and B. You were kind of having fun with it mm-hmm. too. It was loose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the baby's on the cover with yeah. you. So like you're yeah psychologically you're coming from a totally different angle. It's that's a great record, man. Like, yeah. Um, Thanks. Thanks. Do you think you'll get into? <laughs> how do you look at that now? Because that's what six. Six years old now, or six, seven, six, yeah. yeah. Um, I stand by that record. I love that record. A lot of people thought that was a, a miss. Um, oh, really? Cool. I had a lot of fun with it. It was an experiment. It was new yeah. age R and B. I remember all hey. those fucking Hellfire Club bros at that time: yeah. Bus Driver, No Can, Milo, Mike, Eagle. 
they were on a tour. I think you might have been involved with that tour. I don't know. Um, right when that record came out, or just before that record came out, I passed it to them. That was like their van. That was like their tour van music was oh, that dope. record. And they just loved it. They ate it up. They couldn't really figure out <laughs> what was going on with this, like, yes, skinny white weirdo beat scene <laughs> dude, yeah, you yeah. know? And when they got back to LA from off that tour and I, I saw them all at Low in Theory. They were just ranting and raving about it. it. had so many ideas for me and it just meant the world to me, honestly. Yeah, some good, solid acknowledgement. It just yeah. meant the world to me and like that's all I needed. Like, yeah. I got panned on Pitchfork for that one and like there were some good reviews, there were some bad reviews, but like just having these heroes of mine in underground rap acknowledge that was yeah. just, that's all I needed. That's good. I could yeah. <laughs> let yeah, that one, definitely. let that one go and move on to the next thing. Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, the press, I wouldn't put too much credence in their opinion in general, too. You know, I mean, having, you know, your peers like actually get it, you know, mm-hmm. goes a lot longer. Absolutely. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. That's another record of yours I love was that edit joint. I see you have the painting, the original painting uh, mm-hmm. uh, around the corner. Mm-hmm. What was that one called again? Jewelry. Yeah, yeah. When I was, it's I a went. Free, free download. Yeah. Yeah, because well, when I mean, Pitchwork was still covering shit like that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. that And that got some good momentum but i remember being on tour with y and serengeti and dose one and i was the dj uh tour dj uh, my first uh tour bus experience and i was the opening bus. dj and i kind of dj'd in between acts too but Sick. two or three of those joints were every single show uh, I, I played and we were playing to sold out clubs every tight, night tight, you know? tight, tight. and uh yeah thank you great <laughs> yeah great joint club club songs and club Basically, edits kind of you know? yeah sure yeah School. So totally different kind of records and stuff. So what about now? You know, I looked and I saw that what's hindsight? This is the latest thing? What's that? The newest joint that came out this year. Did I mess up the title? Yeah, what uh I've just been putting out some singles this year. There was year. a cassette that came out, right? <laughs> so what's this what's the single then? The, the it's been some just like uh, well, I did like a more long form experimental ambient psychedelic thing yeah. that's based around this mycelium music concept or mushroom music concept that I've been building for a few years now, very intimately. And then I did this other thing uh, in homage to the park shows that we've been doing oh, at the yes. park. All, the, the track is called La Tierra de la Culebra, and it's just a short, fluty, kind of visceral short new agey kind of park environmental music park jam yeah it's it's kind of like it's got a mood to it and a heavy thing because when i put that out i was really missing the park and a lot of us were really missing out events sure in general so it kind of carried that casted this longing tune so for people that might know not might not know um this park jam that you were doing because it was a regular series, and actually, did kind of, you go? Did I you did go. Oh, yeah, cool, cool. went um, when uh, Jamari Williams, Jamire, Jamire Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he performed, another guy that you put me on to as well, and bus, I remember Bus Driver was there, and, and I, I believe I went to another one too. But this was something you basically were curating with mm-hmm. some people, right? Mm-hmm. Or, what, so, what's the story behind that, and, and is that going to come back or? Yeah, it's coming back. Um... I'm actually speaking with Carlos Nino tomorrow oh, cool. about the launch, relaunching this event. Uh, it won't be the same because we were in an every other week like 
snowballing momentum. Um, so it's not going to be the same, but what it was was a free uh, public park. It's a small public art park in Los Angeles. We were doing an outdoor concert series that every other week. Uh, and it's a very special situation with the community and the neighbors and kind of just how that park is situated. It's like half public, half private. So there's like a for nonprofit that leases the park. And then the city council, like the neighborhood city council kind of oversees that. So it's not public. It's not private. It's being hmm. like leased out. We, which which enables us because I'm friends with people at that for nonprofit. Oh, cool. Enables us to kind of be entrusted to that property without permitting. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I know the people who live in the house next door are the people who work at the for nonprofit who kind of are the stewards of the park. And we drag out long extension cables and hook up to Wi-Fi from the house next door. Oh, that's what's so up. We don't need a generator or, you know, it's just like very, hip -hop. it's very idyllic. It's very punk, very hip hop as fuck. Yes. It started out yeah, as, a, as a, as an experiment for a release party for like an ambient record that we were releasing at the time, I think in 2018, 2017. One of yours or someone else's? No, someone else's. And then I'm like, I think I know where, where we can do this. And it felt so good that we wanted to keep doing shows. So I just kind of took it to my own, you know, accord and responsibility to continue and launch a series from that point. No matter who came, who didn't come, I and others who would perform were so into this kind of like accessible, outdoor, breezy LA afternoon on a saturday playing music it was pretty undeniable that it was so beautiful you know so we just kept it going and then it turned into a fucking thing and then the pandemic hit yeah. and like literally at its apex right yeah. um and maybe for a good reason maybe like for divine timing because it was kind of like at the point where we needed to find a bigger park or something yeah yeah which was freaking me out luckily we'd never gotten into any trouble there'd never been any bad vibes or like altercations with law enforcement or never any yeah. like there's like an unhoused community that kind of lives in the park and at one one morning i was there yeah. setting up there was a fire but other than that it was a safe space and really lucky for that yeah yeah because yeah. it seemed like an anomaly as far as like the scene goes totally I guess, if you totally know, like... it was it was just like me trying to curate the all of the full spectrum of the los angeles like music culture that i'm in within and uh work within uh directly with the label and adjacent to the label at first it was like this is going to be an ambient modular synthesizer environmental music show and then i'm like <laughs> a few we did a few more and i'm like no i need some jazz in here i need some yeah. live music in here yeah. i need some beats in here teebs let's play some beats and it's like the, yeah things started evolving and growing and expanding and it just turned into this fucking incredible like diverse inclusive palette of a safe space for experimental music of all genres and it was so dope Love it, for free and there's kids running around blowing bubbles jump roping you know dogs barking like you know it was beautiful 
beautiful moment man beautiful thing i would like repeatedly like be like just moved to tears every time i was in that park just being like wow this is like kind of low-key utopia happening in front of my face right now yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's dope thank god that exists man like and and, we couldn't uh, have done it anywhere else than this the city yes yeah definitely yeah yeah, I mean, now you've lived in L.A. for, um, what, 15 years? It's coming up 15 in October, so it's still 14 and a half. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What an experience, right? Yeah. Like, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a trip, and I'm still here. And I don't plan to leave anytime soon. This is yeah. my this is my spot. Yeah. This is my calling. Yeah, you yeah. feel like it always seems to me that you're like, you know, your antenna is way up. You're fully connected and like you are seeing and engaging with like so many things on the artistic level that, that really has like kind of built quite a bit of a bridge, like from scenes of the past Mm -hmm. that have, Mm -hmm. uh, that haven't, Mm -hmm. uh, that might not carry on totally. I mean, there's a lot of other players, especially in LA. It's like a very community based kind of, uh, place, especially for music and beats and hip hop and all that stuff. But, I think the efforts that you have made has been like a pretty, pretty um, uh, powerful kind of like uh, uh, contribution, you know, in lieu of the people that you've worked with and that have hired you, you know, you kind of have worked with, you know, a myriad of record labels here in LA and stuff and have contributed a lot of thoughts and ideas and hours and stuff and and still maintain to you know hold on to your identity with leaving mm. and mm. and and continue to put people on to stuff like the um, uh what's the record with sam uh that I, that i love so much that everyone loves so much that that the the first tape the duo joint what's that called the the gindo wilkes yes music yeah. for saxophone I mean, and bass guitar yeah i mean yeah. that what a contribution that is. Oh, I mean, thank you. And yeah. one among many with the with the record label. I mean, I could pull up a bunch. I wish I had uh, this one I want to hear, uh, which I don't own, but I'm just going to pull this cassette that's sitting here. But this joint right here, yeah. the Greenhouse Music yeah. for Living Spaces, mm-hmm. I might have to walk with one of those if that's okay. Oh, yeah, that's all yours. Um, that's all yours. Go on with it. And this is, you know, when you with all this sunshine here in Southern California, I mean, how can you not have uh, uh, listen to something like this? Um so tell me a little bit about like what what else is coming up or what like what you're excited about. You know, I mean, um, knowing that releasing records in 2021 and 22 is takes a lot more time than it used to um, physically. So you got to kind of think on your toes probably more mm-hmm. like um, tell me where you're at with leaving, mm-hmm. like kind of moving into this next phase of, of, of uh, you know, the record industry. Yeah. Shit. Wow. Because it's a full-time job, is it not? It's a full-time job right now, and it's it's just me, and I hope to um, bring in as many who are willing to help, and we're trying to find ways to sort of decentralize and um, make this thing more horizontal so that artists do have stake in equity in the label. Nice. I've uh, been been really rethinking so many uh, traditional label models. I, I, I think I've seen it all at this point, uh, just, <laughs> just based on who I've worked with in the past and how it can serve artists and communities and how it cannot. So here we are like post, yeah, well, we're still in the pandemic, yeah. but there's, you know, we're really fortunate in this country where live music is coming back and 
um, slowly the uh, the curtains are being lifted on, on a lot of restrictions. So it's allowed me to really take leaps of faith and experiment just based on my values of community, which can be scary to some. And I've learned that being a label focused on community feels so right to me, but for others it can, the concept of community can be ah, scary or off-putting. It's been really, just really interesting. We don't have to get 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 into that really, but um, where to even begin? I mean, like I'm bootstrapping the label again after being in a big indie kind of joint venture partnership for seven years or something. Mm. I'm, out of that, free from that, and it's like starting uh, over, but in the best way possible, right? With all mm-hmm. of this, with all the support and experience, and um, just new ways of thinking, how to in, empower and enable the artist community that I represent, uh, which is just just an incredible beautiful spectrum of more marginalized experimentalists and um you know just (laughs) (laughs) what using using all of the tools and resources that i've gained throughout the years being in the industry mindset thinking that that was the way that this thing was gonna thrive and it wasn't it wasn't thriving i took this leap of faith it's a very calculated risk and I'm seeing for our artists being positioned more favorably than ever, just thrown into a well of opportunity with doors opening now. I mean, I could I could talk about just like how we're restructuring uh, artist agreements and deals, uh, what new additions, new landscapes and spaces that we're experimenting with to provide artists with more value and opportunity. Um, it's, it's a lot to talk about and I'm just kind of here for it because kind of been brainwashed and burned like all for the last few years, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I feel like, and I was advocating for this system. I really feel like I was kind of brainwashed and then in turn brainwashing all the artists that I was mm. onboarding into this, the system or the construct. And I'm like, there's like a lot, there's like a much better way here that we could do this, that everyone can really gain on the upside of this instead of just a few people up top really thriving. So that's, that's where I'm at. You know, if that sounds vague as fuck, then sorry, but that's where I'm at. That's where my heart is. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's where my heart is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that concept has to continue to evolve and stuff as it becomes you know, as the challenges of running a record label and, and manufacturing product and figuring out the digital landscape too. Like these things don't stay static, you know, they change. And as the economy changes and as jobs change, so like, uh, yeah, I, I'm with it, man, I dig it. I mean, you're, you're still able to um, uh, have that input and bring and introduce new and exciting talent, so. As long as you're capable of doing that, you know, that's kind of the bottom line, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. from a fan standpoint, yeah. you know, yeah, that's cool. it's, yeah, we can talk about the industry all day, but yeah. as long as you stay inspired, like artistically too, because I've always derived a lot of inspiration from your taste, your palette, 
you, you have great taste and you have a great ear, um, both as a producer, but you know, as a A&R, you know, and, um, and as a coming from a DJ, you know, so, uh, and you know who knows what the next generation of artists will hold i mean we're old school you know uh, we've been around for a long ass time so it's about yeah kind of finding the the future and helping embolden that i would imagine um but i'm just happy to see you kind of thriving and and, and having like this beautiful workspace and um you know venturing back out again because we tried to do this podcast a few different times even during in the in the middle of the pandemic, I, I'm so glad that we could do it now because I mm. feel like even with leaving, like you're at like a whole new place, um, and yep. uh, there's a lot of really cool things on the forefront. Yeah, would you agree? I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! And and just to like have known you for so long, it's like I've seen you kind of grow up and evolve a lot, man. Too. So it's just super super cool for me. And, and and for this to be the first time that I can like you know, interview someone, I guess, or record a conversation and in, in what is basically two years, like, um, it's a nice, uh, starting point, you know, cause this is what's going to get me back into the mix, like with, with more conversations with people. So I appreciate it, my man. Thank you, Peter. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Thank you. Much love to you. Much love back, man. Yeah. Keep, keep it, keep it going, dude. Yeah. Cool. You did send me out on a few tough runs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we had some. Hey, we had some good ones. We had. We, hey, I Do I owe you money? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think maybe uh, maybe two hundred fifty dollars from from two thousand fourteen. Uh, no. Well, hey, we went. We, uh, we did a show in Tokyo. I, that was something I think I brought to the table. Holy we shit. did a show at Shabazz Palaces at the height of their kind of creativity. Wow. Remember at the Roxy? That up for me. I did. Wow, that was I mean, amazing. yeah. We and I pitched a lot. I, I was always like came in. And you are very kind. I got to give it to you because you're always very kind in your responses where I'm like, hey, do you want to do the show of Flume or like, uh, you know, or whoever, like whatever flavor of the month electronic mm -hmm. artist was blowing up. And I'll be like, you know, let me see if I can, you know, hook up like an opening slot or whatever. No slight at Flume. I mean, whatever. Um, no, but, no slide. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and you were always very thoughtful in your response being like, I, I don't know if that's aesthetically like the approach I'm going for at the moment. And. I'm coming more from a booking agent standpoint, being like, hey, man, I mean, there might be like a couple thousand people there, you know, granted, it would be for $250 or something. But wow. um, if but, I would have known who Flume was, like where I'm at now, <laughs> I probably would have. You would have taken the 250 No second guessing that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too. It's like when those artists that eventually blow up super huge, yeah. like when they first start, they want to have like the cool you know mm. um you know innovators mm. to open up for them for that totally. kind of like credibility look yeah. wow. you know um but no we did we had some tough runs and hopefully we had a couple of good runs i mean sure you know hell yeah we did i think probably the most memorable one was the tour i mean and maybe mm. not for the shows necessarily but with sunara ged you know the incredible uh and and diva you know and that was uh, that one i you know i'm very proud of too cause, yeah because art, artistically that's like such a great matchup yeah too. that was cool i mean really the only D, like dj beat maker in the squad for to mix it up we had some pretty epic nights on that run and then passing through south by was was really fun yeah too. yeah yeah so yeah we got some good ones and we got some more you know for the uh for the old diary 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully maybe some a couple more down the road somewhere. I somehow. Hope so. No. Yeah. Yeah. Try to make it happen. Yeah. No. This story isn't over. No, it's not. All right. no. Cool. Peace, man. Peace.